everyone, and welcome to the round 18 edition of Bombercast for 2022. I am your regular co-host, The Grizz, here today with a new guest host, uh, with Bonta still out of commission for the next couple of weeks. I have fellow mod and podcast extraordinaire, Beerfish. How are you, Beery? Hello, The Grizz. I'm fine, thank you. Doing well after another win, another week, another win. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. So it was tough going for Bonta and I at the start of the year with all the losses, but it's good to get some wins on the, on the board, uh, even if it was a bit of a weird game, which we'll jump straight into. The 48 points was the margin. I felt like it was sort of more than that for the majority of the game, with it, with the exception of sort of the last half of the first quarter. Gold Coast didn't really fire a shot, so it's sort of hard to gauge this game and what it meant for us. It was very similar to the Brisbane game last week where there just was no pressure or no heat on the way we moved the ball. And, you know, at least Brisbane had nine guys out to justify why they were so poor in that regards, but the Gold Coast were just flat. Like, that's um, a weird performance by them. But all in all, a a pretty good performance. Our forward line was pretty functional. Peter Wright only kicked two, but we managed to kick a score of 100 regardless. It's a pretty free-flowing affair, but, you know, you'd always take a 48-point win over nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to watch that kind of footy when it's going on and coming off appropriately, but it doesn't really tell you a lot about the team when the opposition's like that. Like I said, good to watch, but not necessarily tells us too much. Yeah, I think the ball movement was really slick. Uh, We got back into a a sort of game where we had a lot of high possession winners. McGrath and Redmond and Merritt all got 30-plus. Steel and Shield had another sort of really good game out of the center of the field. I think he had another... So three centre clearances for the game and 14 contested possessions. But I, I think what stood out for me was the forward line. Like I said, Peter Wright only kicked two. And normally if we kick 100 points, he's bagging four or five. But I think he only bagged the two. Yeah, we had four from Stringer. We had two from Draper, Jones and Martin. You know, had a couple of chip in like uh, Phillips and Durham to kick goals. And I just think the forward line looks so much better in terms of structure with, you know, you got your right, then you got Jones, Stringer as the third mobile type and arresting Buck every now and then if you need the rotation. But I just thought, you know, Stringer's return to form was good. He he, he takes a three to four week lead up <laughs> whenever he's out for a significant period of time with that being, you know, maybe just a couple of weeks. He always needs that few weeks lead up. and But he seems to be now in form, Four goals, 16 disposals, everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. And um, when he's up and firing, our forward line looks absolutely mint. Yeah, you're not wrong. He always does uh, take a few weeks to get back into the swing of things after he's been out for a while. But you certainly never begrudge him taking those those pings at goal from anywhere in the 50, really. I certainly don't. You know, he, I think he gets more than he misses. And that's what we want to see. So you've got to give him that license. Yeah. And I think um, it, it helps him and guys like Matt Guelphie who have sort of been battling at different points this year when you have your full complement of, of forwards you know players like Matt Guelphie who have sort of played a lot of this year as sort of having to be an attacking crumbing player which just isn't their role you know now they're the fourth or fifth the forward you know fifth if Langford's rolling down there from the wing and you know he can just do what he does best which is act like a total sociopath when there's balls in his area and just tackle guys I think he had 10 tackles on the weekend which is a bonkers number for a guy that's meant to be playing on the half forward flank guys like Ben Hobbs had six tackles so our forward lines are applying heat which is probably helping turn the ball over in more attacking areas as opposed to isolating our defenders 1v1 who I think still did a good job I think you know Chole guys like Chole and Casbolt and Day had been recent touched and they snagged a couple each but they didn't really look like they troubled Laverde and Zerk Thatcher at different times and 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, I was at the um, Dreamtime at Optus last year over here in Perth, and uh, I remember maybe a Chol just tearing us a new one. He seemed to we seemed to be kicking it to him on purpose. Like he was just everywhere. So I was certainly watching for him and he was, uh, he was shut down pretty handsomely, you know, just got the, got the couple, as you said, one or two, but uh, always great to see the handball of Rosie go off and work probably when you don't have as much pressure on you. That's the way it's meant to go, but uh, we don't always see it going that way. Yeah. And I, I suppose, you know, part of me feels like there's a little bit of deja vu happening in the sense that we've sort of seen this before, haven't we, with this sort of ring, ring, rosy handball game that gets us in front when it works, but it can be absolutely brutal when it doesn't the other way. And um, there were times we probably isolated Zerk, Thatcher and Laverde a little too often. And like I said, they did much better than you'd think in that situation. But against a team that's not as deplorable as Gold Coast were on the weekend, we probably would have been crucified going back the other way if we played like that against, say, Melbourne or Geelong. And I think there's aspects of the game which are coming together. I think Heppel's move to the wing has really helped. We're not getting, we're not having a small like Rankin or I don't think Rosas played on the weekend. But another one of those small, Rory Atkins at different times, sort of sneaking forward and getting goal side of our defenders and beating us out the back, which we're sort of having with Heppel and Cutler as our defenders. And Sam Durham's been a revelation sort of as Kmart Angus Brayshaw, a guy who starts on the wing and flows back into defensive 50 to help aerially. And you just see, you know, even just roles in the team like Caldwell, who did a really good job on took Miller, Miller for the first three quarters, kept him to 16 disposals in the first three quarters. You know, Miller filled his boots in the last when the game was all but dead. But, you know, that's two pretty good scalps by Cordwell in successive weeks. He did a job on Neil last week. And when the game was there to be won, he, he tied down, took Miller really well. And I think that turns him into a far more valuable product as a footballer when you can get 20 and kick a goal for offensively, but you can shut down the opposition's best bid defensively. You know, your midfield starts to look a lot more balanced. And, you know, the trade, the trade parish camp will be getting louder and louder every week that, Caldwell and Shield and Merritt have really good games with Parrish out, but it, it just looks like a, a midfield's working harder defensively, which helps you balance all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I asked the question in the Parish thread today. I don't really have any skin either way, but just, you know, do we trade him? Why, what, what are the arguments for trading him and not trading him? And I can see it from both sides. So I don't really know what we end up doing. I, I imagine we hang on to him. Unless, uh, as somebody else said in the, on the board today, you know, some godfather offer comes in, but uh, that's probably more likely to happen next year when I think he reaches restricted free agency. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's the pre-agent element of, you know, guys who are about to hit free agency next year generally get big contract offers that come early, but there's a couple of issues with us for starters. We're 2 mil under the cap. So we need to spend $1.3 million just to get to the salary floor, which we have to do for next year. You trade away Darcy Parish at 700k, all of a sudden we're 2.5 mil underneath the salary cap. Um, I don't actually don't think we can sign enough players to make up that difference. But more What's Jared Pollock doing? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, do we just want to front end uh, Zach Merritt's massive deal so he's earning $2 million next year and earning <laughs> 200k for the rest of his contract? Like maybe we should just do that. But I don't know. I, I imagine, like you said, it'll be a, a, it would have to take a godfather off and not just in trade but in contract to, to lure him out of Essendon because I think he's pretty happy. He's got the podcast with with Pidge, but I think that it's more likely the teams come knocking next year when they can potentially get him for free as a free agent as opposed to coughing up what will likely be two first-round picks this year to get him. Yeah, it's a fair call. 
I wanted to ask you, like, stop me if you've heard this before, right? We have a really slow start to the year before something happens mid-season, you know, name it a review mid this year. You know, we sacked Mark Neal in 2018 about the bye. We, Guy McKenna leaves in 2019 for Cricket Australia, oh, Cricket Victoria. Then inexplicably, we find form and win the majority of the back end of games and we feel pretty good about ourselves. And the game is nice to look at, but not necessarily defensively sound. Am I just, like, am I right feeling this is just a bit of deja vu? It's deja vu all over again. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I don't know how this keeps happening. I don't know where the complacency comes from because it's a different, it's almost a completely different group, say, from 2017. When you look at the teams, they're almost completely different. Guys like, you know, Stringer and Hooker and Danaher and Fantasia and McKenna. Like, you, you look at the list, and it's very, very different. A lot of younger players, but... I don't know what happened over the summer, whether the defensive plan was that bad that it just didn't work, whether we tried to add too many layers at once. We sort of reverted to this thing that we know works, which is this running gun game style, but probably doesn't result in any sort of serious contention down the track. No, I mean, it's uh, it's eerily similar and, and nothing tells the story like my spirit. Uh, <laughs> you know, you start out the season thinking, okay, I mean, most people kind of thought that we wouldn't go too well this season. We certainly wouldn't go as well as we went last season and then couldn't have predicted the injuries that we were going to sustain. That coupled with the game plan, you know, they're being ready to take the game plan to the next level and then all of a sudden you lose Langford in the first five minutes and it's just like a pack of cards from there. So it spends the first half of the season destroying your spirit. And then just when you think, okay, well, at least we'll get some decent draft picks, they start winning. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, where's this been? You know, I, I mean, I'm, in, I'm enjoying this, but, you know, where, where does it get us? Yeah. Like, I think it's so I, – I did this exercise on the weekend when I, uh, after the game thinking, I, I wonder what's interesting to look at. So we're missing three of our four – like, for the first half of the year, we were missing three of our five top finishes in the best and fairest last year. We were missing Stringer, Snelling and Langford for a significant period of time. We're also missing four of our five leading goal kickers in Hooker who retired, McDonald Tippingwoody who didn't sort of kick a ball in anger before retiring this year. Jones was out and String was out until round six before he injured himself and came back. So they're big th- outs. Yeah, they're big outs. But then you look at our start to the season, right? So here's where the who we played and where they are on the ladder now, right? So Geelong first, Brisbane third, Melbourne second, Adelaide 16th, who we beat, Fremantle fourth, Collingwood fifth, who uh, currently fifth. Who was it after that? I think it was Hawthorne, who we beat, then Sydney, who are sixth who beat us, and then the Bulldogs, who are reigning premiers from last year, so, uh, reigning grand finals from last year, sorry. So you look at the draw, and that's absolutely bonkers. Three out of the, seven of the top eight teams currently and a grand finals from last year. And, you know, so when you have those players out and that starts the year, it makes sort of sense that we started so slow. Like, it doesn't justify the, the lack of effort in games like the Geelong game and the Sydney game. Like, they were just deplorably sort of insipid the way we played. But, yeah. you know, it makes sense that we started the game slow. But oh, I don't know. Have we wasted this year, Beery? Um, there were definitely games that were an absolute clusterfuck. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. And they really break your heart watching those games because, you know, I don't want to be there. They don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there except the opposition maybe. But have we wasted the year? I, I think yes and no. Yes, it's a waste in the sense that it's another season gone where we haven't 
really gone anywhere, but no in the sense that gains have been made in some areas, I'm sure. And if we can just keep the, the I know it's, you know, every, every club's got injuries, of course, but if we can just keep the majority of our best 22 on the ground for more than half a season, next year i think we'll see significant improvement yeah uh, i'm i'm torn on this i think wasted is a bit strong like it's not wasted in the sense that we got gains into guys like martin and d'ambrosio and jones is now playing a lot of games we got games into brian draper's found back found some form back kicked the goal of the year on the weekend i'm i don't think i've cheered as loud on my couch as when i watched that goal (laughs) um my dogs jumped up they thought I, i was screaming to death or something but it was just what a goal, mate. We have, we could probably spend 10 minutes for that, but we don't have the time. But, uh, you know, Zerk Thatcher's starting to mature, getting games into Jai Caldwell. Like, people forget he's played less than 20 games coming into this year. Finding guys like D'Ambrosio and, and Nick Martin, who might well win the Crichton this year, the way he's going, like, that's not a waste. But there's still this pit feeling in my stomach of, if we hadn't had the injuries, like, we may not have beaten Geelong, Brisbane, Melbourne, Fremantle, right, but... You know, we might have bound to snare one. We, you know, and I think you're right in that our spirit was broken after that first six weeks, and I don't think we ever recovered. And you know, if we can get a bit of better form in that early part of the year, maybe we are, you know, in Gold Coast position, a game out of the top eight. It's not a waste, but I don't think it's been a success either. And then someone like Gold Coast comes along and completely destroys our chances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, yeah, if we were in the hunt for finals, Gold Coast win on the weekend. That, that, that's, that's <laughs> as sure as anything. But <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like um, there's been a bit of a, a waste in the sense that yeah, if we'd played this way all season, then we might have been a bit more successful. But there's also the question we talked about before in a sense of, is this game plan sustainable? So we tried to implement a new game plan at the start of the year and it didn't work. So we've gone back to the old one. So was that a waste of the first half of the year trying a brand new game plan that we're not going to use? Probably with the players that we had, I'd say possibly a waste. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I still haven't seen the game plan really. Well, I haven't seen it working. I've yeah. seen it not working. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hopeful to see it working full steam ahead next year. Uh, we have a great preseason. Nobody gets injured. We don't get talked up too much. We get a slightly easier draw because we have one of the hardest ones this year and it all comes together and we win the flag. <laughs> win the flag. Uh, I think... <laughs> oh, look, if I'm getting flag, older. I'm running out of time. I, you know, they've got to get moving. Okay, sorry, mate. Um, but, um, but yeah, I I think we've got, like I said, we've got a lot of room in the salary cap. Josh Money's already said we're going to be pretty aggressive with free agency and and targeting out of contract players. So maybe we we, we pick up a. I don't think I think Angus Brayshaw is probably out of the the question. I think he either stays in Melbourne or goes to Fremantle, but someone like that to use that cap space to target people. Maybe we do what Fremantle did last year with Brody and pick up an extra draft pick and a handy player and use the cap space as sort of like an NBA style salary dump, but it's interesting. So we'll, we'll now move to one segment. I like to play with our guest hosts um, called take it or leave it. And just on the topic we're touching on before my question to you, Beery winning is counterproductive at this point. Should we tank, take it or leave it? Well, I think we should never tank. Tanking is bad. Draft picks are good but when legitimately won. So I, I don't want to see them tanking, but I won't be that cut up. So I guess I'll leave it on the basis of that. I don't think we should be tanking, but I wouldn't be cut up if we uh, if we ended up 
near the bottom. I don't want a Wilden Spain. No, I'm not a Carlton supporter. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I was looking at EDPS's, who, um, for anyone wondering, is the preeminent draft expert on Big Footy. I was looking at his uh, his rankings, and you know there seems to be a top three with, but one of those top three is father son linked. So if you want to get one of the best three players in the draft, you're going to have to basically finish bottom two, which I think is out of the question for us. And then from God four, damn it. yeah, <laughs> um, but. You know, players four through eight in the draft sort of seem pick your poison. So and if you look at historical drafts, I won't go into it because I don't want to bore everyone, but the, the range of player you get from four through eight really varies. And different years, eight's better than four. You know, five is best out of a lot of them. Six is pretty, like, it doesn't make sense. So the, the very, like, they're all very similar quality of players, particularly in this draft where it's bottom, where it's a top three and then the rest. And so, because we're not going to finish bottom two, well, I think just win as many games as we can, get some good vibes going into off season, and see how we go before the injuries kick in. Yeah, of course, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Can I ask you one? Go for it. Is Peter Wright in the AA forty at the moment? Forty potentially. Uh, definitely not in the twenty-two. I think he's equal fourth or fifth for goals this season. There's the, obviously um, Charlie Kerno and Hawkins and Cameron are the leading goal kids at the moment. Then it's Max King, Peter Wright, and uh, Aaron Norton all sort of locked on 42 goals. I think Norton and King are both, you know, are higher up in the league for contested marks and they play for teams that have gone better this year than us. So I think they're probably more likely to get in the squad. But, you know, who knows? He could kick 15 over the next five games, finish, you know, second or third on the Coleman table and we're, you know, asking a completely different question. At the moment, I'll leave it, but there's scope. For me to you, is Mason Redmond our best and fairest winner right now? Uh, I'm terrible at these. I, uh, it's like picking a horse race. He's certainly in the conversation, that's for sure. So top five, would Nick Martin still be in there? Would, oh. would he be, who would be the main competition? He'd be my favourite at a, this point, I reckon. Um, well, he's had a couple of quiet weeks, hasn't he, for him? Or am I judging them all by his five-goal debut? Yeah, I don't know. Like, he's the sort of guy, when you look at his stats, he averages 20, averages a goal a game, a few... Like, he's the sort of guy that will pick up, you know, you know, a few votes every, every game. Match. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, your Jake Stringer out of the box or Peter Wright kicking six. So I think, yeah, if, if I gave you the four to pick from of Laverty, Redmond, Wright, and Martin who I think is our top four, maybe Merritt, if you want to include for a quintet. Who, who are you going with? Has Zach missed any games this year? I think he missed a couple with that um, ankle that we all thought was going to be like That's an eight-weeker. Right. That's right. Nah, I'll go with Nick Martin, the hometown boy. <laughs> Nick Cry. <So, Clark. laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I love Red Dog, but uh, I'm going to leave it. <laughs> there must be some extra satisfaction as a WA man to see Nick Martin come to us, not the Eagles, huh? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did you have one for me? I've got one last one for you. Um, it's based on something I was talking about on the board somewhere today. Might not have been our board. I think it was with Owen87. Oiling up the arms, Grizz. Should that be banned? Is it like uh, having a glove? You know, is, it, is it that kind of ballpark? The only reason you could possibly be oiling up the arms is to make yourself harder to tackle. So is Yeah. That, is that, um, this is an interesting one. So I think it's different from the glove. So the glove gives you an unfair advantage, I think, in terms of your ability to mark 
and so it sort of enhances your ability whereas i think the, the oil although you know you could say the oil makes you harder to tackle so that's an unfair advantage but i think you're more asking in regards to sort of the hot head high tackles that are happening because guys are shrugging it up i'm gonna leave it just because that's not what the oil's there for. I don't think the oil's there to help guys shrug the tackle up. I think it's just there to make people sort of harder to tackle. Like if you're going to ban the oil on the arms, you've got to ban Grippo, for example, on the hands. Um, so, uh, so, oh, so uh, well, I feel like this. I'm asking yeah. the question here. Not Sorry. You. Yeah. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. So I'll make the statement. If you're going to sort of ban the oil on the arms, you've got to ban Grippo as well. And I don't think you should ban Grippo, but. I don't think so. I think there's a greater argument to have, though, about the head-high tackles. I've always held the opinion that if you have the opportunity to dispose the ball but choose to duck or shrug up or whatever, it's prior opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the easiest way to deal with it because if it's not enough just to get a ball up because they're like, all right, we're all set up for a contest and most teams are set up to do that regardless. If you lose the footy because of it, you're going to stop players from doing it. So if you're going to get smacked around the chops and lose the footy, guys will stop doing it very quickly i don't i don't equate jack ginnivan for example to joel selwood i think joel selwood uh, i think eth dog made the point that joel selwood shrugs up to evade it hits him high but he keeps going whereas you know jack ginnivan sort of flops down throws his arm up and then sort of looks at the umpire waiting for the free kick and doesn't play through contact so um like cory waitman yeah, Cody Wait. Oh, don't get me started on Cody Waitman. Oh, Cody, oh. Corey, whatever his name yeah, is. Uh, yeah, the he's not, guy. Yeah, look, it's not worth learning his name because, you know, he's not a very likable guy. And Is it Ginevan or Ginevan? I don't even know. Um, the blonde hair guy that Kane Corns wishes he was. Um, but So has this happened just in time for this weekend? Uh, I think so, uh, <laughs> which could be good for us. But, yeah, I'm going to leave it. Short answer, I'm going <laughs> to leave it because I think – the oil on the arms is something that it's not there for the shrugging up. And I think every team does it. So that, whereas the Ginevan thing, which is a shove up and the Waitman thing, only a few players are doing it, but more and more players are doing it. So I think the AFL should probably do something more assertive than, Oh, you know, we just won't pay them. I actually think there needs to be a, a stronger point of it. It actually counts as prior opportunity because instead of getting rid of the footy, you've chosen to take that action. That's fair. So I think we'll quickly get into a Collingwood preview. So, Beer, if I told you, or if someone told me probably more accurately, that Collingwood would be coming into this match at round 19, coming off an eight-win streak and uh, fifth on the ladder, I would have taken all your money and given you whatever odds you wanted. Um, but uh, alas, we find ourselves here. A team that plays very similar to us, I think. They have a, a an undersized back line. They have... Uh, a lot of mid types like Howe and Jack Crisp and Nathan Murphy, who are sort of those 190 centimeter intercept types, not unlike we have. And they sort of rely on their contested ball work to get them in a good position to pick the ball off at halfway, like we try and do. But they're just much better at it this season, obviously. What What are your expectations coming into this match? A win. <laughs> a win. <laughs> I actually did not know that they were fifth on the ladder and that they've won eight in a row. Is that for real? Yeah, no, they're they're on fire. It's actually quite ridiculous. Uh, great. Yeah, and they've got some guy called Nick Dacos who apparently is really good. Um, I, yeah, yeah. You, you don't that. hear much about. Yeah, you don't you don't hear much about him in the media. Like he's a bit of a quiet achiever. No one ever talks about him. But <laughs> right, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Nick and uh, Nick 
Nick Dacos, I think it is. Dicos. I, I can't say his last name. Nick Dicos. Sure. Yeah, that one. Um, okay. Nico Dicos. Um, they're apparently pretty good. But um, they're, they're, they're eight straight, the fifth and the ladder. I think they're only percentage out of top four at the moment. The percentage is pretty poor, but they'll, they'll be looking at us as easy kill, I think. Um, and well, quite right. I'm looking at them as the loss that they probably need to have then. Sure. <laughs> the classic Essendon gets up and win game. Sure. Yeah. Geelong in 2010. That that epic. Oh, what a game. Yeah. So um I think I, I agree. I think Collingham might be up for the picking here, but um I think their midfield's very strong. I, I think our forward line, our back line matches up on their forward line pretty well. You know, all it takes though is Mason Cox to have his one game, one good game out of 40, and we're cooked. But um, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, that, that never happens to us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, of course not. Um, yeah, Mark Legrard didn't kick 10. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Collingwood are probably going to be my tip. Although every time I've tipped since St Kilda in closest to the pin has gone, the tip, the results gone the other way. So maybe I should just tip us for the rest of the season and see if we make the finals. Yeah, well, I I stopped tipping about round six, I think. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, obviously I hope we win. I won't won't be surprised either way. What I'm not going to cop is like a ten goal dropping or something yeah, like that. I agree. So it'll be interesting to see the the team sheets and and how they end up lining up. Um, yeah. It will be important, I think, because we've played sort of three, four games in a row, really, if we include the West Coast game, which was um, an up-and-down affair and neither team defended particularly well. You know, our, our last sort of four weeks, it's been St Kilda, very little pressure by them. West Coast, very little pressure by them. Sydney was a hotly contested game, but then it was Brisbane and Gold Coast who were as hot as, you know, a Melbourne winter. But I think Collingwood will bring the heat. It'll be interesting to see how our our handball and our link-up game off halfback works um, yeah, against a team if, which is which is much better structurally and, and going to bring a lot more heat. Yeah, exactly, around the ball, around the contest and just see whether they can um, get that ball out of there. But with the way Shield's been playing uh, lately, I don't know where that's come from. Well, oh, of course, Parrish isn't playing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, of course. Um, <laughs> no, that's the consensus. That, that's no, the con- no. won't, won't revisit that well-trodden ground. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a discussion for another podcast. I think that just about wraps us up. So, uh, what's your tip for the weekend, Beery? Uh, we win by thirteen points. No, I'm tipping Collingwood by twenty-five. But just like I said, because every team I've seen to tip since the buy, it goes the other way. So. Um, I'm hoping I've I've jinxed Collingwood by doing that. I think we've got both bases covered. Good, good. Yeah, I think that might do us all for tonight. Uh, thanks, Beery, for jumping on. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me, and I uh, look forward to editing us uh, in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> no worries. Uh, once again, thanks, guys, uh, for listening. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>